Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen. It's Tuesday, July 31st. We're putting a spotlight on media companies today, first with an update on one of the biggest stories from 2017, and then an earnings preview and outlook for a, quote, old media stock. Joining me via Skype for this discussion is Senior Motley Fool contributor Asit Sharma. Hey, Asit, how's it going? Hey, Vince. Fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Uh, We're on a tight schedule here, so we're going to dive right into our first topic, and that's with the Walt Disney and 21st Century Fox merger. So it's been a few months since we last checked in on this ongoing saga, and the news from last week helps to put uh, kind of a nice bookend on the deal. So we're going to discuss what happened, what investors should expect going forward. So first, back in late May, Dan Klein and I spoke about a potential counteroffer for the Fox assets from Comcast and the inherent uncertainty that a Companies, this type of bidding war. Um, but it wasn't until mid June, in the immediate aftermath of the Justice Department announcement, that they would clear uh, a different deal, a big one between ATT and Time Warner, that Comcast stepped up to the plate and they put out an offer for $65 billion in cash. Disney was forced to respond with a $71 billion deal that includes both cash and stock. And earlier this month, ultimately, Comcast chose to withdraw its bid. So this brings us to the past week. Shareholders at both Fox and Disney have approved the deal. The Justice Department has given its approval as well, uh, with one small requirement, and that's uh, that Disney will divest itself of Fox's regional sports networks that compete with ESPN. So beyond that, um, Disney still gets the valuable film and television properties, uh, majority ownership of Hulu, stakes in Star India and Sky, which we'll discuss a little bit more later. Um, but Asit, um, in terms of my question for you, is what comes next uh, with Disney, its shareholders, You know, besides the fact that I'm sure uh, a lot of people at the company are popping champagne, what should they be looking out for in the year ahead? The major thing that shareholders want to look to next is when will this deal close? Uh, past regulation from the U.S. side, uh, so U.S. regulators have approved the deal, but we're looking for European regulators and Chinese regulators, major markets, to give their blessings on this deal. And the soonest time frame that I can see is an early 2019 approval, which means that shareholders can start expecting to see some impacts of the merger probably back half of the year. Um, if you're looking for significant, what we call accretion opportunities, that is the putting two companies together and net revenue earnings increasing, that may come from this interesting investment that Disney has undertaken in what's called over-the-top services. This refers to streaming services, which bypass traditional channels. As most of our listeners know who follow or own Disney, uh, the company is going to pull much of its content from Netflix in 2019 and offer its own streaming service. This service will focus less on quantity, which Netflix, uh, that's Netflix's model, and more on quality. And it's really gold-plated shows which go back decades, uh, movies as well. So I want to talk just really briefly about what that means in the combination of these two companies. Just to go back a little bit on what this service will look like, Disney is expecting to have um, about 7,000 television show titles in late uh, 2019, fall of 2019. It's going to also have uh, the franchises that viewers love, such as Marvel, Universe, Star Wars. Those movies will be available. They'll be pulled from Netflix. All R-rated content is going to live on Hulu. And Vince, as you mentioned, both um, 
Fox and Disney were joint partners along with some other media properties in Hulu. But this deal makes Disney the controlling shareholder in Hulu. So it'll shove R-rated content over to that. And the sort of Disney family programming that uh, it's known for will live on this streaming service. The company will also have some original content, uh, including five original movies, five TV shows by the end of 2019. What we can expect is that once this merger uh, completes, there'll be some immediate shifts of media into the new streaming service. I expect that we'll see probably uh, the National Geographic show, which is a really uh, lucrative Fox property, uh, shift over pretty quickly. I think CEO Disney CEO Bob Iger has already signaled that. Um, we'll also see great properties, uh, film properties, such as X-Men and Avatar also migrate over to the streaming. Last thing I want to point out about this merger is that both of these companies have a prodigious film studio operation, and they're projecting $2 billion in cost savings and synergies by 2021. Part of this will be realized in cost cutting, and both companies replicate many of their services in film, such as production, distribution, marketing. So you'll see an emerging news story probably over the next few quarters of, unfortunately, layoffs, because so much of this uh, in the film side of both businesses is duplicative and redundant. So that has a good bottom line impact. Unfortunately, it comes with people losing their jobs. But all in all, uh, for 2019, look late in the year for an impact. And I really think you'll see most of the significant momentum start to happen in early 2020. Awesome. Thank you. Um, something I'd like to mention uh, before we move on to our next topic is just the framing for this story. Um, and, and it's for listeners to remember that these multi-billion dollar deals, all this jockeying, uh, it's as much defensive as it is offensive. Um, remember, uh, Keep in mind that recent estimates indicate that customer, consumers are cutting the cord at an accelerating rate. And by 2022, as many as one in five people will have abandoned the pay TV model in favor of streaming alternatives from companies like Netflix, Amazon, HBO, and others. And with this jockeying for these Fox assets, Disney's answering this long-term trend with the streaming offerings that you mentioned, Asset, and they have uh, all these uh, projects in the works that cater to sports, kids, or adults, um, plus Hulu, and ultimately the Fox franchises, the studios, those assets will really make those services more appealing. The last thing I'll mention um, is to not forget a part of the acquisition uh, that Disney is taking over Fox's 39% stake in Sky. So this is the leading traditional pay TV business in Europe. Fox has supplied bids for complete ownership of Sky, but that was previously held up by regulatory concerns. So Disney's now in the driver's seat, and the company is still likely to pursue that outstanding 61% with Fox's latest bid at over $15 billion for that outstanding stake. Um, but if you turn to the other camp in the all these negotiations and kind of this bidding, there's still Comcast shareholders as well, um, because on one hand uh, they lost the opportunity to increase their scale with the Fox assets, which means they have an even larger, more influential competitor in Disney. But on the other hand, Comcast leadership has shifted its kind of dry M&A powder to taking over Sky entirely to branch out of the North American market. So Sky has over 23 million customers that can be added to its ranks, and Comcast is offering over 34 billion dollars for. The, uh, for that European business in its entirety. Um, it's the better offer at this point in time, and they're still going through that process. 
Uh, our next media company uh, that we're going to cover comes from earnings season activity, and that's the New York Times, ticker NYT. So they're expected to report their second quarter 2018 results in early August. Um, I said we briefly briefly covered the Times last fall. Stocks up another 25% since that show in October. To kick things off, can you talk about uh, the company's results here to date and what's on your watch list for this next report? Sure. So I follow uh, New York Times every quarter. I'm very interested in, of course, their digital only subscription revenue. Uh, if you look at the last quarter, which the Times reported, they showed an overall uh, revenue increase in subscriptions of 8%. Now, that was driven, of course, by digital subscriptions. Those subs, short for subscriptions, jumped about 26% to just over 95 million. And within that category, their news product, digital subs, improved by about 24%. So this is really driving the Times growth. It's uh, the theme that we talked about in October. At that point in time, Vince, we were curious, hey, the, the Times is up 70% this year. Can it continue? And as you pointed out, since that show, up another 25%. Um, one other thing that I'm looking for this quarter is this other category of revenue. So the Times has now crosswords, Product. It has cooking content products. It also has revenue from the wire cutter, uh, which is a referral site which the Times acquired last year. And these comprise a much smaller part of the business. However, they're growing rapidly. I just want to call out one of these. If you uh, take crosswords and cooking together, their growth rate is over 60%. Now, it's about $5 million in revenue, not a huge chunk of the total top line. But this foray into content services that are peripheral to news is one of the growth drivers that has investors excited. I'm going to um, hand the baton back to you, Vince, but I do want to get into in this conversation a little bit later on is there a potential for this quarter to be a little bit of a jolting call for investors who've had it good and have some profits on the table. But what are you curious about yourself? Uh, as we look, I think they're reporting what the first week of August, late in the first week. Yeah, I'm getting some conflicting dates. Uh, Cap Capital IQ saying August 8th. I've seen others say August 3rd. Um, basically, in the next week or so. Um, the thing that you mentioned uh, in terms of that jolt for shareholders is definitely uh, is definitely on my mind. In that you have this incredible subscriber growth from the past year, um, driven a lot by uh, the headlines and news. Uh, with President Trump, and but management does ultimately expect some of those growth rates to come down uh, based on these tougher year-over-year comparisons. And keep in mind that the paid digital-only subscriber base has doubled from early 2016 to early 2018. So it's just two years' time. It's gone from about 1.36 million subscribers to 2.78 million. And you know, if you look at these uh, quarterly growth rates from 20 just 2017, um, lowest. Quarter was 41.8% growth. The biggest quarter was 63.4% growth. So huge numbers. And something that's really promising, I think still encouraging for shareholders and investors to keep in mind, is that the retention is still strong among these kind of post election additions. So the interest that these new customers have, um, which happen to be younger with a higher proportion of women, they're not falling off after showing, uh, after initially subscribing, but they're actually coming to reflect the churn rates. Um, that are similar to older uh, loyal subscribers. So definitely a, a positive there. Um, in terms of 
the a little bit of the longer term outlook for this company. Um, I'm curious, Asit, uh, what are you seeing in terms of uh, what the times, what the management's doing to sustain its growth and adapt into more of a platform business? I know we have Wirecutter. We I know we have expand uh, some of the kind of vertical expansions into uh, the into cooking and then also uh, into. Uh, the crosswords business. Anything else you're seeing in terms of things that kind of are irons in the fire for company for the company maybe a few years from now? Sometimes someone on an executive team wakes up in the morning and they have a thought come into their head, few words, and it's a very persuasive narrative which they can communicate with the rest of the management team. Um, I like something that I'm hearing out of the Times management uh, over the last couple of earnings calls. They're starting to focus on what they call the story behind the story. It's an easy five-word phrase, but what it refers to is the really persuasive interest that subscribers have over how content is made at the Times. And in the overarching theme of, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, We did talk about this in October. In the overarching theme of the current political climate in which the New York Times and the Trump administration are foils for each other, and each benefits, as we talked about in the fall, from this relationship, consumers of media want to understand how the stories that are breaking news, seems like to me every few hours, not even every few days, how those get made. And the Times is capitalizing on the regard for its content. It has a really surprise hit in The Daily, which is a podcast which seeks to uncover how an emerging news story breaks. Um, And they've announced a couple of interesting partnerships. Um, They're going to now have a sort of spinoff concept on The Daily called The Weekly. Um, And Hulu, which we talked about just a few moments ago, in relation to Disney and Fox, is going to have rights to stream this content. So, um, We should always, with the Times, remember as well that its lofty reputation uh, is driven by investigative journalism. And I have noticed that while the company did cut some of its copy editing staff, it has poured more uh, resources into investigative journalism. They broke the um, Harvey Weinstein sexual assault story and won a Pulitzer Prize for that. And that is turning into more content as now the Times is making a feature film about breaking that story. (laughs) So you see how even just reporting the news for a company which has the brand dominance in journalism of the Times can be parlayed into something greater. And there's an ever-growing field of content. This is really analogous to this idea of Disney and Fox taking their assets and trying to make something of them. So that's what I'm looking for longer term, is how the Times takes its content and monetizes it further, certainly consumers seem to have a growing appetite for this. Yeah, I'll expand on that. And I think the maintaining that brand and honestly uh, monetizing it and working off it is going to be really important because um, you uh, have this situation, you know, long, thinking longer term, where the print business, it's mature, it's still profitable, but it's ultimately running on a timer. Um, management has framed it kind of as a cash generator that can feel other investments for the company um, with the digital platform also consistently consistently growing, becoming a bigger part of the New York Times. And I'll just point out that this time 10 years ago, uh, advertising 
in terms of revenue was over 60% of the top line. And in the most recently reported quarter, advertising share was just 30% of revenue, with subscriptions filling the void. And the problem there, um, as print advertising budgets shrink, and this has been a long ongoing kind of headwind for the New York Times, um, their, that part of their revenue is also shrinking with those bud, uh, advertising budgets. It was down 24, uh, 14% last year. And the losing out, on an income stream that they've said has 95% gross margin, really profitable for them. And they are experimenting a lot with the podcast, which has been immensely successful that you mentioned, spinning out with the shows, movies, and the company's really thinking about these other opportunities, dedicating teams and resources within the company to looking at what else can work in terms of these different verticals, things that are similar to cooking or crosswords or wire cutter. They have mentioned a few other categories such as parenting or brain teasers that readers might enjoy um, as other areas that you know that uh, they can kind of experiment in and play with and I'll also add that CEO Mark Thompson he had some interesting comments during an industry conference uh, in May where again coming to that uh, the issue of the New York Times its brand and how powerful it is um, because in the print business, customers largely accepted year after year about a 5% price increase with low churn as a result of that. And that's encouraging for the company. Ultimately, right now, they're really focused in terms of their subscriber strategy. They have this goal of expanding the subscriber and reader base. But there's a point when, with kind of the precedent set, in terms of the print business and the trend that they saw there, ultimately potentially being able to increase prices for uh, the reader base once they're uh, once they're at the point where they want to start maximizing revenue, looking at that more and boosting profitability uh, for the long term. And my last couple of points, uh, Thompson has also pointed to a goal of about 10 million total subscribers, though he didn't really lay out a specific timeline for reaching that milestone. So that's triple the current number, um, but. The, the Times has 30 to 40 million people visiting its website each month, and management has looked at its total addressable market uh, as being something in the hundreds of millions uh, when you include all English-speaking readers. And that kind of subscriber growth does um, seem like a, a potentially achievable number given the momentum that they've had recently and the focus that management has on expanding into a more of a platform kind of business beyond just the the print and online newspaper. And so again, this is another case and we talk about this uh, we've talked about this a lot with uh, brands in consumer and retail about uh, how important it is to nurture that and how that can really drive some of the important results and growth for the company. So any final thoughts uh, from you Asit before we roll off? I have two points. Sure. One is uh, undergirding all the things you just talked about, Vince, has to be a sound financial strategy. And the Times is a weathered, knuckled, uh, sleeves rolled up, bare knuckled company when it comes to looking at their income statement. Any company which runs a newspaper uh, for decades successfully has its acumen. And what I like about the Times is all the investments that you've just sort of walked us through, they need to come from somewhere. And I've noticed as I've been following the Times over the last two years that the company consistently controls its costs. Every quarter you see operating margin improve just a bit. It improved by 130 basis points um, in the last reported quarter of the prior year uh, to 8.2%, which is not a high operating margin, but for the newspaper business, it isn't bad. 
Um, and I also have noticed that they have been whittling away at what used to be a pretty big debt burden quarter after quarter. And when you're running at $400 million odd of revenue in a quarter, just reducing debt from seven to eight million down to uh, under five million where it is today, that makes a difference in earnings per share. It's one of the reasons that the stock has climbed. It's not just this uh, really great subscription growth that the, the company has enjoyed, but it's also how they manage the profits that flow to the bottom line. And I think that's one of the persuasive uh, reasons to own the stock. It is well managed from an economic point of view. My last point is uh, looking at this coming quarter, I do feel that uh, the company has had a pretty good run. It's trading now at around 27 times forward earnings, so not seriously overpriced. But given the climate that we have in the market today, especially after Facebook's earnings sort of unsettled the, the market uh, and some of the tech companies disappointed, uh, it may be a quarter where the Times has just a, enough of growth for it to sell off a bit. Now, all you listeners out there, that means you should go out and buy the stock because I am usually wrong about these uh, predictions. However, if I'm not wrong, I think that this isn't uh, a signal that you should run away from the stock. I do believe in what Vince uh, has laid out, that it's got a platform which uh, will grow with you know, judi judicious management of these new content strategies. So all in all, they may have a little bit of a bump in the road ahead is my guess in this quarter. Maybe not, but a strong, still a strong uh, investment proposition. Uh, company has this great brand, which if they manage it well, will continue to provide value. And I think increased earnings per share going forward for the next couple of years at least. Great. Thanks, Asit. Um, I'm, I'm going to end with a quote uh, from, again, uh, this is the CEO. And it's uh, from a conference in May, and I think it's interesting. It touches on, uh, I think, what what is ultimately a, a tailwind for the Times and all of these different, uh, uh, all these different verticals that it's looking at. And he says, "We're not satisfied with our current rate yet, given what we think is the size of the market, the competitive context, and the fact that the background is because of Netflix and the other streaming services because of Spotify is manifesting a growing awareness and willingness, not just in the U.S. but in other countries, a willingness to pay for high quality content. Uh, it's an interesting uh, kind of parallel to draw with uh, streaming music, streaming video, but ultimately people are showing that uh, even with multiple services." Uh, whether you know, I I am a subscriber, for example, to Spotify, to Netflix. I have an Amazon Prime account. I have Hulu. Um, when the content's there, I'm willing to pay for it. And the New York Times seems to be uh, benefiting from the same uh, swoon of interest and growth of people who want high quality news, high quality journalism. And I think that is something that is here to stay, and that really speaks to the longer term prospects for the company. Uh, thanks a lot, Asif, for joining us today. Thanks a lot. This was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, fools, for listening. Remember that the company should be reporting in the next week or two. Uh, we'll follow up with if there's any major updates there. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Fool on. Mm -hmm.